0: All right, well, we are continuing in our journey through the Gospel of John. As I said last week, it's going to be a long journey. This is not going to be something that we're going to finish here in 2022. I'm not going to tell you when we're going to finish it, what year it will be, but it's going to be a while. And uh, we're going to break up the series and some other little subjects that we're going to cover here or there. But we're in for the long haul here. We we covered uh, 13 verses of chapter 1 last week and talked to some pastor friends of mine About that, and they said, "Wow, you covered thirteen verses of John one in one message, and it is true. It was it was a lot that I bit off last week, and and I really could have done four messages in those uh, four. My four thoughts could have been four different messages, but I felt like I wanted to do it all all in one. And so today we are going to pick up in verse fourteen. We're going to cover verses fourteen through eighteen, and I've titled the message this morning: He has made him known." He has made him known. Would you go with me in prayer this morning before we jump in? Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that it is alive and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces into our hearts, it cuts, separates, it divides, it exposes, and it heals. And Lord, I pray that your word would do all of that here today in our lives. Every single one of us, that it would change us, that it would make us more into the image of Christ. It is what your word does. Lord, I pray that your people would, would hear and would receive and would apply the word into, into their lives. Lord, I pray today that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So have you ever been told that you have a doppelganger? You know what a doppelganger is? No? Am I saying that wrong? When some people are saying no, I'm like, am I really saying this wrong? Doppelganger. You've never heard of a doppelganger. That means is it somebody that looks like you that's not you. You know, and now this is, you're going to laugh at this. You really should laugh at this a lot. But I remember when I was a teenager, uh, somebody said, I don't even know if I'm going to even say it. I, it's too late now. I got to say it. When I was like 16 or 17, they said, you know, you look just like Justin Timberlake. I'm like, no, I don't. That is not true. I didn't then, and I, cert- I certainly don't do, I certainly don't now. But, but there have been people, there's been, been, been other actors. I, I've had somebody say that I look like Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but I know who everyone says that I look like them and they look like me. And that would be my son, Joel. Joel would be my doppelganger. Would he not be? He would be the one that you look at and you think that's Ben Buffkin. Actually, some of you right now, it, when you see him walking around the hallways, you may mistake him for me. You may look at him. If I had some of you even tell me that you called out my name, but it was actually Joel. And that's because he gets taller by the second. And it seems like over the last six months, he's just grown up. But the truth is, is as much as Joel looks like me right now, as much as he, as he gets older, he'll be 16 in February, as much as he gets older, we, we, we really are not each other. There are some differences. Just ask my wife. She knows Christ, you've been married to me for 18 years, and and, and I am not Joel, and Joel is not me. I am Ben, and and Joel is Joel, and we may have people that look like us, but when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, our text today will show us that Jesus was not the doppelganger of God, or didn't didn't look just a little bit like God. Jesus was the exact image of God. Jesus is a reflection, a perfect reflection of God. And what we looked at last week when we talked about who is Jesus, we talked about that he was eternal God, that he was the light of the world. We talked about who Jesus is. But today we're going to talk about what Jesus reveals about our Father God. Because he is a perfect reflection of the invisible God. He is God made visible. Let's look at the text. We're going to unpack this as we go along here. John 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word... No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. He has made him known. Now, before we begin to unpack here what this means that he has made him known, and we're going to talk about what we're we're, we're going to answer the question, what does Jesus reveal to us about the Father? I wanna look at this first verse and this is where we are getting this, this emphasis here. Verse 18, it says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Who is the he right here? Should be a capital H in here. Most translations don't put a capital H there, But it's, it's speaking of Christ. He, Christ, has made him known. No one has seen God, the only God, but it is he, Christ, who has made him known. And that word know, that word known there in verse 18 of John 1, it, it comes from the Greek word, which is exogeomai, exogeomai. And exogeomai is where we get the word exogeomai. Ex, Exegesis, which is where we get the which is where we get the study of biblical interpretation. So, when we're talking about interpreting scripture, we're talking about doing ex, exegesis, not exegesis, but ex, we're exegeting. I'm, I'm going to try an attempt to exegete this text, read it, and explain it to you. So, whenever. The word says in John 1.18, no one's ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made known the eternal, invisible God. He has explained God. Jesus explains God. Have you, ever asked, have you ever had somebody ask you, can you explain God to me? Who is God? Can you explain God? You know what the correct answer is. Jesus. You want to know about God? Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is the one who interprets God. So, so this, this is what this text is saying. No one is seeing God, the invisible God. But if you want to see the invisible God made visible, if you want to understand who the Father God is, eternal God is, look at the life of Christ. Uh, Philip, one of the disciples, asked Jesus one day, look at John 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus exegetes the Father. Jesus reveals who God is. You want to know what God thinks. You want to know what he's like. You want to know what he values. You want to know his passions. You want to know what is important to God. Look at the life of Christ. And this is what we're doing. This is the journey that we're going to be on. looking at the life of Christ. So the question we want to answer this morning, with this in mind, what does Jesus reveal to us about the Father? What do we see in this text right here that is revealing about who the Father God is? Look, Look back at the text. John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know what this reveals about the father? You know what? This revelation of Jesus becoming flesh. You know what? We, we come to know and understand. And what is revealed about our eternal God. About our heavenly father. Through the, the flesh of Christ on the earth. You know what it reveals? It reveals this. Firstly. Jesus reveals the love and compassion of God. Just his flesh, just God becoming man, just Christ walking on the earth, presents the greatest revelation of our Father God, our Creator God, that we ever need to know is that He is a God of love and He is a God of compassion. Amen. When 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 you ask people how do you how do you describe God, most people probably wouldn't talk about love and compassion. They, they, they may would say that about Christ, but they don't necessarily connect Christ and God together. They may not see Christ as God, Jesus as God. But when you're thinking about God in heaven, you would ask people about God in heaven, you would have answers like this. Well, God is holy and he's powerful and he's big and he's mighty and he's strong. And if, you, and if you're somebody who studies the Bible, you may remember Exodus 19. Do you remember when God told Moses to go and prepare the people? He said, I want to talk to my people at Mount Sinai. And he says, they must consecrate themselves. And I want you to draw a boundary all around the mountain. And you tell the people that if they cross the boundary before they're consecrated, if they cross the boundary at all, if the animals cross the boundary, they will die. And so God Moses prepares God's people and God's people show up at the mountain and God comes down. His presence comes down on the mountain. The mountain shook. A voice from heaven comes down and, and talks and thunders and there's lightning and there's fire and there's smoke. And the people say, oh, we don't want to talk to God anymore. And if you talk to people, this tends to be their view of God. But here's what I tell you. If the words love and compassion are left out in our descriptions of God, we fall terribly short in our understanding of who he is. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is powerful. Yes, he is sovereign. Yes, he is in control. Yes, he is a God of glory. He is a God of thunder and lightning and smoke that, that 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 shook the mountain on Mount Sinai. Yes, he is all of those things. But if we leave out the words love and compassion, our view and our understanding of God falls terribly short. And why do we know that? Because of verse 14 of John 1. Because it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The very fact that God would become man and dwell among us as sinful people is a direct reflection of his love and compassion for us. Do you believe that? In the beginning, in the beginning, God God was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And and this is the reality of his love and compassion for us. And John 3.16 tells us that. For God so loved the world that he did what? It was his love that motivated him to give his son. It was his love that motivated the incarnation. And so this is what Christ reveals. He reveals the love and compassion of God. 1 John four says this about God it says beloved let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God anyone who does not love does not know God wow that's pretty straightforward scripture really is straightforward in so many ways that we don't like we it makes us uncomfortable, but, but it really is true. Anyone who, who does not love does not, know, does not know God. Why? Because if you know God, you, you know a God that says here it, it be, "Because God is love." And so if you say you know God, a God that is love and you do not love, then you do not know God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Did you see that in verse nine? In this, the love of God was made manifest. How was the love of God made made manifest? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is why it is not true to say we love God if we cannot love others. How often are we quick to recognize the wrong that people do and and we fail to demonstrate the love and compassion of Christ for those people? How how, how often is that true in our life that we fail to demonstrate what Christ demonstrated to us about the Father? Christ demonstrated to us about God that he is a God of love and compassion. and, And we as Christians, we claim to know God. But how often do we not demonstrate that love and compassion to those who Walk in sin. We're quick to recognize the wrong, but we fail to demonstrate love and compassion. And here's here's the truth about our God of love and compassion. God does not just expose sin to bring judgment. He exposes sin to bring healing. You You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah had one view of God. The prophet Jonah He knew that God was a God that judges. He knew that God was a God that hated sin and loved iniquity, that he was going to judge evil people. And so God told Jonah, Jonah, go to Nineveh, this this wicked city, and tell them that my judgment is coming unless they repent. And Jonah was like, No way. I'm not going to those wicked, evil people. There's no way I'm going to go over there. And Jonah got out of Dodge. And he ran as far away as he could from God's call. And God caused a, a, a ship that Jonah was on to, the, the, the stormy seas to come. And, and Jonah says to the ship, his shipmates, he says, I know what's going on. Just throw me overboard. It's going to be okay. You'll be all right. So they throw him overboard, and God causes a fish, great fish, to swallow him. And he's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jonah finally grits his teeth and says, Okay! The fish spits him out. Jonah goes to Nineveh. And he preaches the weakest repentant sermon you ever heard. Reluctant prophet. And you know what happened? It worked. Which shows you really, you don't really have to have it all together as a preacher. God's the one who does the work. The whole city repents. Even the cattle. I don't know how cattle repent. But read the story of Jonah. Even the cattle repent. Everyone from the cattle to the king, they all repent. But Jonah only had one view of God, which was that God needed to smite these unholy, unrighteous people. He didn't understand of the view of God, of his love and his compassion. Listen to what Jonah said, John 4, Jonah 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly that they repented. For he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, so to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Well, wait a minute, Jonah did know that God was a God of love. What was the problem? Jonah didn't have the right heart. Jonah failed to preach the message he was sent to preach with the full reflection of God's heart for the city of Nineveh. Now listen to the conclusion of the story in Jonah 4. God said to Jonah, do you well to be angry for the plant? See, because God had given Jonah, Jonah went to sulk on top of a mountain because he was mad that God didn't destroy Nineveh. He goes and pouts on top of a mountain. God gives him a, Plant for his head. Apparently, Jonah was bald, and it was giving him shade for his head. And then the plant withers up and dies, and Jonah's angry about the plant. And Jonah, God says, "Do you do well to be angry for the plant?" And he said, "Yes, I do well to be angry enough to die." The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you not, you didn't make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? says, Jonah, you're pitying a plant and you can't have mercy on a people who are made in the image of God. Jonah, you hear what God said to Jonah there? God said, Jonah, you didn't make this plant. You didn't do anything to create it. He's paralleling, God's paralleling the plant with the created people made in his image. He says, you would pity a plant that you didn't make and you didn't make these people, but I made them. They're made in my image. Jonah had missed the point. And what Christ reveals to us in his incarnation, the word became flesh, reveals to us that God is a God of love And a God of compassion. Love and compassion were hallmarks of the life of Christ. I love what Matthew 9 says. You see this in a few places in the Gospels. It says this, but when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was what? Moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep with no shepherd. The word moved there in Matthew 9, when it says he was moved, Jesus was moved with compassion. It's the picture of being moved at the depth of who you are. And and there's no other way to describe it in the original languages other than moved at the depth of your bowels. The bowels are the deepest part of us, right? That's what this means, at the depth of who Christ was. He was moved with compassion. This is not just a sentimental feeling that leads to, leads to passivity. This feeling of being moved with compassion is not, doesn't lead to passivity, but it is rather a deep groaning of compassion that leads to action. Compassion and action go together, just like God and love go together. God and love go together, and Jesus is the perfect reflection of that reality. God and love go together and Jesus is the perfect reflection of that reality. So what does Jesus reveal to us about the Father? Jesus reveals the love and compassion of God. And so if in your life today, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's with coworkers that you have a hard time with, whether it's a boss whoever it is, whether it's that person that's living that lifestyle that you disagree with, if in your life you are not reflecting this reality of who God is, you need to pray, God, reveal this to me at a greater level so that I can be a reflection of who you are. May we not be like Jonah. May we not be like the Pharisees. May we not be like those who sit up on on our high horse, that sit in our pews on Sunday mornings and we look at the world who is not living in ways that are godly and that should never shock us. But may, may we never sit in places of pride, but may we reflect a heart of love and compassion for people who are lost and who are sinful. Because that is the heart of God. People need to know that, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Do you believe that today? What does Jesus reveal about the Father? He reveals the love and compassion of God. Secondly, Jesus reveals this. Jesus reveals the fully accomplished salvation plan of God. The life of Jesus in itself and what he did and accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus' life reveals the fully accomplished salvation plan of God. Look back at the text, John 1, 17. This is where we get this. It says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses, the Ten Commandments. The law, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I love what the Bible exposition commentary says about verse 17. It says this, if God dealt with us only according to truth, none of us would survive. But he deals with us on the basis of grace and truth. Jesus Christ in his life, death and resurrection met all the demands of the law. Now God is free to share fullness of grace with those who trust Christ. Grace without truth would be deceitful. Grace without truth would be deceitful. And truth without grace would be condemning. You guys get that? Jesus coming to dwell among sinful humanity and dying as a substitute for sinners reveals the salvation plan of God. And it is a plan of grace and truth. It it, it is a full plan of salvation that was accomplished on the cross. And Jesus reveals grace and truth. But the salvation plan of God didn't just start with grace and truth. It started with the law through Moses. The gospel started in Moses. Did you realize that? The law coming through Moses was was a part of that plan. Jesus reveals the fullness of it, the completion of it. But the salvation plan began with Moses. The law of God was given. Why was it given? To reflect the perfect holiness of God and to reveal his standard of righteousness. The law of God reflects a holy God, reflects his perfect standard of righteousness. But the law of God was never intended to be salvation for people. Obedience to the law, the law of God was never intended to be salvation for anyone. The law doesn't save. The law was intended to bring revelation to people. Do you realize that? The law was intended to bring revelation to people. What was the revelation it was intended to bring? The revelation of sin. It was intended to bring the revelation of our sinfulness and our inability to keep this perfect standard of the law. So the law is a part of the salvation plan of God. But the law came first to reveal that we are sinners and that we are incapable of fulfilling the perfect standard of its righteousness. The perfect standard of God's holiness. Galatians 3 makes it so very clear here. It's in the New King James Version. Listen to this. Therefore, the law was our tutor. The old King James says schoolmaster. Therefore, the law was our schoolmaster, our tutor, to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. So is it through the law that we are intended to be saved or is it by faith? It's by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So now that we have salvation through faith, we are no longer, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The, the, the law did its job. It drove us to a desperate dependence upon Christ and his finished work on the cross and his perfect fulfillment of the law. The law of God was never intended. Listen, the law of God was never intended to do something that Christ could only accomplish. The law of God was never intended to do something that Christ could only accomplish. But the truth is that there are many people today who get this wrong. They're placing all of their weight over onto their ability to keep the law. To maintain their righteousness before God. Or to become right before God. And then to maintain their righteousness before God. They're putting all their weight over onto their ability to keep the law. There's people today people who are Christians who are thinking in these ways. They're trying to go back to the Old Testament laws and put all their weight on the observance of the feast days and the ceremonial days and the dietary laws. And they're trying to say that we have to keep those as New Covenant Christians, and and this is where we place our weight but what Jesus, listen, back to what we're talking about here. Jesus came to reveal the, the, the full, completed work of the salvation plan of God. He came to reveal that, that through his work, it is a complete work that we don't have to add to it. We don't have to lean on observance of the law to maintain it. He completed it and he finished it. So the, so the question is, is, what are you going to put your weight on? For your justification... And for your right standing with God today, right now, what will you put your weight on? Will it be the law and your goodness or will it be Christ? I've said this example before in the past. So excuse me for those who have heard it, but I just love it so much. I'm going to say it again because I know there are some in here who have not heard it. Who who has seen the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson? And if you know the illustration, you know what I'm about to say. But you remember the, the scene and the opening scene of The Patriot? And, and, and I, this is not a family-friendly movie that I recommend for, every, for all kids to watch. But if you've seen the movie, you know the opening scene. Mel Gibson is there, and he's working on this rocking chair. And he's got it hanging up on a little scale, and he's weighing the chair. And the, the camera pans over and looks into the corner, and there's a pile of old, Broken chairs that is piled up in the corner of chairs that were failed experiments. But he's got the chair now. And he's weighing it and he's looking at it. And he's making sure it's the right weight and size and height. And he pulls it off the scale and he sits it down on the ground. And he slowly begins to sit down. You can tell he's nervous. Because he's not sure if it's going to end up in the pile over there in the corner. And he sits down. And then... Because you know, all of his weight's not on it yet. He's, he's going really slow. Then all of a sudden, he decides to give in, and he puts all of his weight on the chair. All of his weight on his work. All of his weight on his hard labor and his hard work. He puts all of his weight on it. And he smiles, because at first it works. And then what, what happens? You know what happens next, right? It all falls down. And he picks it up in anger, and he throws it over into the pile. That is a perfect example. Of what we're talking about right here. What are we going to put all of our weight on? The creation of our own hands. This, the, 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 the fulfilling of the law. And the ceremonial laws. And the feast days. And the sacrifices. And, and all of that. No. We're going to put. I, it, it, the, the only place for us to rest all of our weight on. For our justification. For our salvation. Is on the finished work of the cross. Because it never fails. It never breaks. It never gets thrown into a pile in the corner. Because what Jesus reveals, he reveals the fully accomplished and finished plan of salvation from God the Father. He fully completed it. Look what Romans 3 says. For by works of the law, Mel Gibson, tinkering with your chair. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, it did its job, the law revealed that we're sinners. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. Although although the law and the prophets bear witness, they point to Christ. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Can it be any clearer than that? The law does not save, the law does not justify. The law is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Christ. And Jesus, becoming man, becoming flesh, reveals the love and compassion of God. And it reveals, he reveals in his life the fully, what he accomplished. He reveals a fully accomplished salvation plan of God. Jesus reveals that it is done. It is finished. Look at John 19. This is Jesus on the cross. It says this, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Three of the best words in all of human history to ever be spoken. It is finished. No more ladder climbing. No more chair building. finished, done. No more guilty conscience. Forgiven and clean and cleansed forever. It is finished. The work was accomplished. The work was done. What the Father from eternity past had planned, the plan of salvation culminated for God so loved the world that he gave his son and he revealed the love and compassion of the Father who came and lived a sinless, a perfect life was arrested and tried innocent, without any sin. And he died on the cross and he absorbed the the wrath that we deserve. And he cried out and he said, it is done. It is finished. It is accomplished. You know what it it really means right there? That that, that word, it is finished, it's from the Greek word tetelestai. Tetelestai, when Christ cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished. What it means is this, it is finished, it stands finished, and it will always be finished. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps the most meaningful, Warren Weersby says this, perhaps the most meaningful meaning of Tetelestai was that that was used by merchants. And it would mean this, the debt is paid in full. When he gave himself on the cross, Jesus fully met the righteous demands of a holy law. He paid our debt in full. None of the Old Testament sacrifices could take away sins. Their blood could only cover sin. But the Lamb of God shed his blood, and that blood can take away the sins of the world. What does the life of Christ reveal about our Heavenly Father? It reveals that the love and compassion of God motivated God to sin because of his great love to give his one and only son to die on a cross so that the plan could be finished and could be accomplished so that sins could be done away with for all of those who would believe in his name. So all for all of those that would place their faith in him it could be done, it could be accomplished, it could be finished. Amen? This is what the life of Christ reveals about our Father God. Thirdly, as we conclude here this morning, what does Jesus reveal about the Father? Jesus reveals the Father's endless supply. Of grace on the foundation of His love and compassion on the foundation of His finished work on the cross to tell us, "Die, it is finished." On the foundation of all of that, Jesus reveals that our Father has an endless supply of grace. Look back at the text, John one sixteen. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. grace upon grace. You know what that means? It means super abundant grace. It means grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, an endless supply of grace that never runs out, never runs dry. Grace upon grace, it, it's literally translated grace in place of grace. Grace in place of grace. You replace grace with grace. Grace in place of grace. Over and over again grace. Are you, are you tired of grace? You want some more grace? You're running low on grace. Our Father has an endless supply of grace through His love and compassion, completed on the work of the cross and through the resurrection, an endless supply of grace in place of grace. Grace upon grace, super abundant grace. Have you ever been cooking that special recipe at your house? You get all the ingredients all together And it's time to start seasoning the pot And you go to open your cabinet You look in there Your spice rack Mine's got a wheel on it And I start looking around And there's that one seasoning That is not there We ran out it just happened a few days ago. That's why this illustration is fresh in my head. It ran out. We don't have that seasoning. So what do you do? You make do. You get this little piece of seasoning and you get that one. It, it was some Italian seasoning that we were missing. It was a special blend of Italian seasoning. So what did I do? I, get, I got a little container of basil. I got some oregano. And you know, I made my own Italian seasoning. But I ran out of what I was looking for. I ran out. But it's not the same. That's not what happens with the grace of God. God never runs out of His grace. You never go in the cabinet and you never look around and you never go before your Father in prayer and you go and you go before, oh, I'm sorry, I'm out of grace today. You just got to make do. Mix up a little bit of works of the law, mix up a little bit of nice effort on your part to get it done, and you can make it happen. No, He never runs out of grace. He never has to go to Rouse's to buy some grace. To give it to you, to to make the perfect recipe for your life. It's limitless. Why 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 is why does it never run out? Look back at the text. Why is an endless why is it an endless supply of grace? Look at the text. It says for from his fullness. And that's the answer. That's why it never runs out. Where does the grace come from? It comes from all that God is. So you think if God provides anything for us, that it will ever run out? No, it'll never run out. Why? Because it's from his fullness. It's from his fullness. For from his fullness, we have all received, who have received? All who have placed faith in his name from, from his fullness. We have received grace upon grace and it never runs out. If you want to receive something from me, Grace from me, it might run out. There's not a lot here, okay? From my fullness doesn't mean a lot. That doesn't communicate a whole lot for you. But if I tell you today that from the fullness of the eternal God, from the foundation of love and compassion and from the foundation of a finished work on the cross where he said to die, from that foundation, it will never run out. Because it is from his fullness. From his fullness came love and compassion. From his fullness came, came it is finished. And from his fullness comes an endless supply of grace. With man, grace is limited. Because man is limited. Grace in the life of the believer is always available. Because the supply of grace never runs out. Why? Why? Because the storehouse it comes from is eternal. No need to return to Rouse's to buy more grace. Next time you're at Rouse's, think about grace. If you're having a bad day, go to Rouse's and think about grace. And realize, I'm not here to buy grace, I'm here to buy Italian seasoning. What does Jesus reveal about the Father? The, li- the life of Christ reveals a limitless supply of grace. And here's the truth about grace in the life of the Christian is that it's, just, it's not just grace and salvation, but it's grace in all of our life circumstances. It's grace always. It's grace in salvation. We're saved by grace through faith apart from works. But that's not where grace stops. I need grace today. I need grace tomorrow for the circumstances that I'm walking through. Some of you right now, you need the realization of the grace of God and the challenges you're facing in your health and your marriage and with your kids and on your job and with your house and the remodel and all the things that are going on. You need grace today in this moment. So my question to you is, where are you standing right now? Are you standing in your own strength? Are you standing in your own ability and power to plow through the circumstances of your life? Or are you standing in grace? You see, because we can stand in our own strength to try to save ourselves and that doesn't work. We we, we saw that earlier. And we can stand in our own strength and try to plow through our circumstances and we know that doesn't work. Romans 5, 2 says this, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in this grace and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And I want you to know that I am standing today by God's grace in his grace. That's where I choose to stand. I encourage you, stand in his grace. Stand in his strength. Who could use a little grace today? Anybody? Who could use a little grace? Amen. Some of you, some of you not sure. Yes, that's me. (laughs) I could use a little grace. I could use a little help. So my question for you, is the place you're standing right now a reflection of the fullness of God's grace? Psalms 1 says this. Talks about where where we walk, where we sit, where we stand. If you want to, Stand in a place that reflects the fullness of God's grace. Listen to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers but the wicked are not so but they're like chaff that the wind drives away when we will when we will live in submission to God and his ways when we will stand in the grace of God for salvation and we will commit to his ways, submit to his ways, we will be like a tree. We will be standing in that grace that God provides for every circumstance of our life. And we will be like a tree planted by streams of water and we will yield fruit. We will have a life marked by grace, by grace, by the hand of God, by the grace of God in every area of our life. What does Jesus reveal about our God? Jesus reveals the love and compassion of our God. Jesus reveals the fully accomplished tetelestai plan of God. The it is finished plan of God. And Jesus reveals the Father's endless supply of grace. Grace for those who are in the desert. Grace for those who feel like they've reached the end of their supply. They've gone into their cabinet and they have no more grace. Rivers of grace in the wilderness times. This is what is available for all those who are in Christ. Like what the prophet Isaiah said, Isaiah 43. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the deserts. That's the grace of God. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. And for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Amen. Amen. This is what Jesus reveals about our Father God, full of love and compassion, full full of a completed plan, a completed plan of salvation. It is finished, and he reveals grace upon grace, grace in place of grace, rivers in the desert. Would you pray with me today?
1: God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its goodness and its ability to work in our hearts. God, we thank you that you sent your son, God, to dwell among us, got to tabernacle with us. God, for those of you that know you as our Lord and Savior, God, your spirit dwells within our heart. God, you make us new. God, you change us from the inside out. And a message that was full of grace and truth, so that God, we could have the truth of Your Word, but also connected God for the love and the justification that came with it. God, as we learn, Father, it's a grace upon grace, a never-ending grace. And it's always grace. And it's by grace, Father, that we're saved. Our faith in You and Christ alone. God, many of us stood here today, God, and we already know the reality of what it means to have grace upon grace. God, I believe there's also people here, Father, that have never experienced it. God, that are far from you. And God, our desire and our prayer, God, and we know it to be true that God, when the Word of God is preached, when the gospel goes forth, God, you save lives. And God, we pray that you've done that here this morning, and as people leave, and that your Word is working on our hearts. And that we don't leave here the same way in which we came in, God, because we've been impacted by the word of God. And we can't be the same when we're touched by the Father. And our prayers, God, that we would walk differently, that grace upon grace. And God, thank you for the Son, God, who made the Father known, who dwelt among us in flesh. Whenever we question what is God, we can see who you were in Christ. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word. We look forward to a week of being able to go out, Father. Got to spread the gospel. God, to love well. God, and to show, God, the grace upon grace that has been given to us. God, it's in your name we pray. And in your name we give all the glory. Amen. We love you. You are dismissed. See you next week.